The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my joy to be with you this morning. Even though we are all on the same boat, short one hour of sleep, didn't even realize it. If you've got a cell phone, you probably didn't realize it. I didn't realize it until I got to the microwave this morning. I realized, oh, that's why my eyes hurt so bad. Lost an hour last night. Um, I read an interesting study this week that said uh, it was a neuroscientist and she was talking about parenting and and our biology. And she said uh, that a parent, this is interesting, they, they tracked a parent's heartbeat. And if a mother was stressed out, higher heartbeat, and she walked into the room, her child's heartbeat matched her own. We are made relational creatures. Our biology relates to other human beings. 
And you can be stressed out and that stresses your kids out. Without you freaking out and flipping out and flipping tables and screaming and yelling and throwing things, it still biologically does something to the people around you. As Christians in our city, we want to have a peaceful, prophetic presence in our city. That's what we want. Peaceful, when everybody else is freaking out, we're steady, prophetic. We can still say, this is what the Lord says. This is the gospel. This is the truth. And for us to be able to do that, because technology and our society wants us stressed out like everybody else and and frazzled and, and frustrated, we, the pastors, the elders of Sacred City Church, are trying to shepherd the souls of of the members of Sacred City. And so we're putting on this thing called the Healthy Soul Conference to help us get healthy, right? Now, part of me hated the fact that we named it healthy. Why? Because most of us, you put healthy on anything, it becomes a negative. I'm eating healthy. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, man. (laughs) That's too bad, bro, right? I'm trying to get healthy. Oh, man, that's rough. Right? So I don't know. But it's the truth. This is what it's about. It's about us getting healthy so, mom, you can regulate your own soul's health so that you can shepherd your child well. So if you're an employer, you can regulate your own soul so you can manage your employees well. And you're not frazzled like everybody else. Right? And so that's why we're putting on this conference. We do hope that to see everyone there. Um, Listen, if you say, well, I'm busy, that's part of the problem, right? Don't don't lose sight of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to help you get healthy, and you're too busy to get healthy. Let's have some foresight, I I pray, and put it in your calendar, sign up this week, and let's get this thing taken care of. That's all I have to say about that. Let me pray, get into this last book of Revelation this morning. Father, what a joy it is to worship you. What a joy it is to sing your praises with people that are crying out to you, um, echoing the praises that are going on in eternity in heaven right now. The saints, the ones that have went before us, the angels sing your praises and we get to join them this morning. And it just feels right to do that. So I thank you. I pray that you'd help me. Uh, You'd think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords this morning that I don't have anything good to offer in myself um, our only hope is in your word. And so we, we say, Lord, let, let your word speak this morning. Let your word produce fruit in our hearts uh, for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Revelation chapter 22. If you want to open up your Bible there, there are some Bible in the seat backs in front of you if you don't have one or you can find it on your app on your phone. And I wanted to, just want to tell you this morning that how much I love you that I am incredibly thankful to be your pastor, that to get to preach week in and week out, to get to care and shepherd you. Um, listen, we've, we've just spent, let's just pause for a second. We've just spent five months in one of the most difficult Bible, books of the Bible to interpret, to understand. And you know what? You guys are still here after five months. And I don't, I don't think no, nobody's went crazy yet. Right? We didn't see any picketers out front. Uh, nobody wearing sandwich boards and, and with, you know, charts that are as tall as they are. And so, so we've survived the book of Revelation. And we have not only just survived it, but if you've noticed, our church has grown. We've grown numerically, but we've also grown in our worship. 
And in one way, this is an evidence of grace. God said he would bless those who read and study this book of Revelation. And I think God has done that. One of the specific blessings, I feel like, looking out on our church over these past few months has been its effect upon our congregational singing. See, this whole book is meant to inspire us to worship God. The angel says it specifically today. The angel shows up. John falls down at his feet like any human being does when they see, if they see an angel. And the angel's like, no, 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 don't worship me. Worship God. That's kind of the whole book in a nutshell. Worship God. Worship Jesus. This whole book is meant to inspire us to worship God and worship Jesus through the Spirit. And if you've been with us for some time, you should have noticed a distinct change in our times of singing. They have been a lot more kind of uplifting, a lot more passionate, a lot more expressive. There have been a lot more hands raised and eyes closed and even some chest beating. I gotta be honest, a couple times I've wanted to do a couple Jericho laps around the building. <laughs> Gotten pretty excited. Right? This book and our worship team has really given us a lot of reasons to worship God with all our hearts. Not just kind of in our mind worship God, but actually engage our body and lift our hands and sing with a loud voice. But here's my question this morning. This is the, most, the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. At 66 books in this one big book. Revelation is the most epic of all the books of the Bible, right? We've, you've got dragon, you've got beasts, you've got all kind of crazy stuff going on in this book. Now, how do I conclude the book of Revelation? How, first off, how does Jesus conclude the book of Revelation in this last chapter? And how do I conclude this series? Because this has been uh, the most epic undertaking probably of my life, especially as a preacher, preaching. I've been afraid of this book for seven years at least. And people keep asking me every year, when are you going to preach Revelation? When are you going to preach Revelation? And so the, the amount of those things, you know, piled up and finally I gave in and said, I'll do it. And now here we are and it's done. And this is the last sermon. Now, I, I, I was thinking a lot about that this week. How do I conclude this? And I was looking here and I'm like, how does Jesus conclude this? Well, as you heard from our scripture reader this morning, Jesus doesn't conclude this book with anything new. He doesn't give any new information. Instead, he kind of summarizes nearly every theme that's running through, all the threads that are running through Revelation. He kind of summarizes them. He brings them all together in one point. And he does that by repeating himself three times. He, sure you picked up on it. Jesus says three times, behold, that means look at me. Behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And in fact, the verb come or coming is used seven times in our text today. Seven times. That should pique your interest there. That's the number of perfection. It's not an accident that he used that word seven times. And just to remind us all, who is talking, who's saying I'm coming, and who's talking in here? This is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, who was both murdered on a Roman cross and also resurrected three days later. We sang it this morning. We've heard it read in our text. Jesus is both the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. 
In this text, he's called the root and descendant of David. That means everything promised to the Old Te- in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, Jesus is it. He's the answer to all the promises. He's the answer to all the covenant. He's the answer to all the questions in the Old Testament. Jesus is the root and descendant of King David. And of course, he is the bright morning star. What's going on here? We're ending this book by saying Jesus is everything. He's everything. The book of Revelation has revealed to us an exalted Jesus who looks a lot different than the Jesus we read about in the Gospels, the Jesus who walked this earth with with his disciples. Scripture tells us that when Jesus put on flesh, what theologians call his incarnation, literally putting on flesh, that incarnation veiled his glory. It hid his glory in a sense. You looked at Jesus and he kind of looked like everybody else. But after his resurrection, the veil was removed. Jesus now is the glory of God, full stop. He's 100 proof. He is the God-man. We've seen from this book, he's got eyes like fire. He had, and I didn't get to preach this sermon. Rob did and did a great job at it, but I was wanting to. He has a tattoo around his thigh that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. At his words, the earth will quake. The sky and earth give way. They flee from his presence on the throne. And he is coming to judge the living And the dead, the text this morning said he's bringing his recompense with him. And then, of course, he's making all things new. Things in heaven and things on earth. And bringing the new city that we get to enjoy forever. We spent a couple weeks talking about that last few weeks. But let me ask you this morning. The big question is, so what? Right? The big question is, what does that mean for you right now? Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. First off, we got to say, well, what does he mean by soon? All right? Well, we read in the Old Testament that a day is like a thousand years for the Lord. And, a thousand, and, and he says also that um, a thousand years are like a, wa- a watch in the night. So eight hours sleep, that's like a thousand years. God is, exists outside of time. He's timeless. So when he says soon, he means soon, but what does he mean by soon for us? It's been 2,000 years and he's still coming soon. So what does that mean for us? Behold, I'm coming soon. Now for many, I think it was a far side cartoon that I saw when I was in high school. And it said, Jesus is coming soon. Look busy. And I think that's many people's mentality when they hear that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Oh, oh, okay, I guess I better look busy. It's kind of like a joke. It's kind of just dismissed. Rarely thought about, rarely meditated, rarely, we rarely let it really affect us. But if Jesus is coming and with him his recompense and he's got eyes like fire and he's the glory of God and the the God man and he's coming back, it should probably affect our life in some way. 
And for those who think about it and those who meditate on it, those who bring it in, I think it can change your life. I know it has changed many people's lives. Let me give you one example. Johnny Cash is, was one of the best-selling music artists of all time. He sold more than 90 million records worldwide. He was inducted into the country music, the rock and roll, and the gospel music hall of fame. All three of them, very rare. And if you know anything about Johnny Cash, he was an absolute wild man. One of his most iconic photos, uh, I think it's the first time I was introduced to him. Somebody was wearing a T-shirt with this picture on it. Anytime you can buy a T-shirt of a guy at Hot Topic, you know the guy is probably pretty intense, right? And this picture was of Johnny Cash, and he was, when it was, he was playing a show in 1969 in um, San Quentin Penitentiary, Right? And the photographer came up to him and said, Johnny, what do you think of the warden? And Johnny gave him a picture that nobody will ever forget and gave him the middle finger and what looks like the F word on his lips. That's what it looks like he's saying about the warden. And of course, this, this has become the, the most shared picture and the most stolen picture, they say, of all time. It just went everywhere, right? He was... A wild man. Johnny was a rebel. He was a bit of an outlaw even. He struggled greatly. Once he got famous, he struggled greatly with his fame, with alcohol and drug addiction. He had affairs that ended his first marriage through divorce. But then, in 1971, Johnny Cash surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And a little... Assemblies of God Church, he literally walked the aisle and came down, did an altar call and gave his life to Christ. The God-man showed up. The God-man came around for Johnny Cash and Johnny began to change. In fact, I don't know if you know this, in 1974 and in 1976, Johnny Cash came to the Quad Cities. At the request of Pastor Tommy Barnett, an Assemblies of God pastor in the town here. And they put on an evangelic crusade, evangelical crusade at what was then John O'Donnell Stadium. Now it is modern Woodman Park. And both times over 10,000 people showed up and hundreds, if not thousands, gave their life to Christ at this thing in the Quad Cities. Now I share that story this morning because the year before Johnny died in 2002, he wrote, what he said was his best and favorite song he'd ever written. It's called, When the Man Comes Around. And when you listen to the song, and as I've been doing over and over, it's been the theme song of this sermon series, okay? You guys don't know it, but when I write sermons, I'm always listening to music, and Johnny Cash, has, and this song has been the theme song for this sermon. And I haven't used it, until now. <laughs> and as you listen to the song, you realize that about literally 99% of the song is scripture. Almost all of it coming directly from the book of Revelation, including verse 11 from our text today. It's, word, it's, it's, it's in there. 
But here's what's interesting. Surprisingly, I, I love this song. I've been listening to this song, so I wanted to find out more about it. So I went and I researched. I did a bunch of research on the song. And, I, you know, it's one of those internet things. You get on the internet and you just fall into this deep hole. It's so nice. I just love it. You wake up hours later. What just happened? <laughs> Fell into a deep, dark hole. And, it, and here's, what's going, here's what happened. This song, it didn't, ha- it didn't come from reading the Bible per se. He had a dream. Johnny Cash, late into his life, he was struggling with his health, and he had a dream that he was standing before the Queen of England. And she said to him, Johnny Cash, you are a thorn bush in a whirlwind. He woke up and said, that about describes me. Think about it. A thorn bush, you get close, you get hurt. And in a whirlwind, right? Thorn bush whipping around, crazy, chaotic. Anybody that gets close gets hurt. And he has this dream and he says, you know what, that about describes me. I am a thorn bush in a whirlwind. I am uncontrolled and uncontrollable and I've hurt many people in my life and I am a thorn bush. That's definitely one way to describe me. And he, as he kept thinking about it, he woke up, he wrote it down in his journal and then he, he'd been a Christian many years by now and that statement, thorn bush or thorn, thorn bush in a whirlwind, it kind of, sparked his biblical imagination. And he goes, I think I've heard something about a whirlwind once. And he goes in and he starts reading the book of Job. And if you remember in Job chapter 38, God speaks to Job from a whirlwind. It was when Job was kind of getting a little mouthy with God and he had done well so far, going through some really difficult you know, bouts of suffering and bouts of depression and lots of things have been taken from him. And he starts kind of doubting God. And then God... <laughs> shows up from a whirlwind and speaks to Job from a whirlwind and gives one of the most epic who-do-you-think-you-are speeches of all times, right? Oh, where were you when I founded the creation? Oh, were you there? Do you know where I tell the lightning to go? Like, he just gives Job's, Job the business in chapter 38. Well, somehow, see, that, that dream led him to... Uh, Job 38 and this idea of the whirlwind. And then he just started meditating on it and that led him to the book of Revelation. And then most of the song comes out of this book of Revelation. So I've never done this before, but because this song is 99% from the book of Revelation or from the Bible, I'm going to play this song for you so you can hear this song. And then I'm gonna explain a little bit what's going on. So can we do that? Let's do that. I'm gonna step stage left, go ahead. Now, a lot of that stuff we probably, should, we probably recognize from reading in the book of Revelation. But what's interesting to me and to many people who've tried to understand that song is, is Johnny's statement in it, the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. If you remember in the dream that inspired the song, the queen said, you are a thorn bush or a thorn tree in a whirlwind. But when he wrote the song, he flipped that around and said, the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. And right after that, in that song, he references Acts 24, 14, where God knocked Saul off his horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. 
which means, Saul, why are you resisting me? Why are you fighting me? Why are you opposing me? It's pretty hard for you to resist me, isn't it? Are you going to stop fighting? It's like resisting a whirlwind. It's like arguing with the whirlwind, Job. See, Johnny knew the gospel. And even though it was probably true that he was a thorn bush in a whirlwind, when it came time to write the song, he realized the greatest thing about this life was that the whirlwind, God, had come inside of him, the thorn tree. See, that's why he changed the lyrics. See, in the same way that God spoke to Job to restrain his rebellion, to correct his thinking, and the same way God knocked Saul off of his horse to claim his life as his own, so had God done to Johnny Cash. That's the great picture of the gospel. The whirlwind inside of the thorn bush. The man in black met the God-man Jesus Christ. See, God doesn't change us from the outside in. So many people misunderstand Christianity. Other religions, they say, here's the list of things you do. And they try to conform you to the, that list of things. And they try to say, outward obedience is what matters. How you look, how you dress, how you talk, how you behave. If you do all of those things and you change all those things, then you can become whatever it is. Christianity is the exact opposite. The whirlwind comes into the thorn bush. And the whirlwind, the Holy Spirit, changes us from the inside out. And then after days, weeks, months, years, decades, we look back and go, oh, I, I, I am different than I was. Can I ask you this morning, have you asked the Holy Spirit, the, the whirlwind, to come into you? Christianity is not about being a good person. It's not about just feeling better about life and having some hope for the future. It's about the whirlwind coming in the thorn bush. See, that's what this chapter is all about. When I look at the rest of chapter 22, it's very confusing, first off, because there's all kind of random things and they're all kind of coming together. But what it's all about is three invitations. He's using this word, come. I'm coming. We cry out, come. We say, come, Lord Jesus. He's using this word, come, in, in at least three different ways, three unique ways. So we've got these three kind of invitations. The first one is, look, look at verse 17. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Verse 14, let's go up to 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. What's going on here? This is all about coming to Jesus, to put it very simple. Coming to Jesus means trusting who he is and what he's done to save us. It's not just a good moral teacher. 
He was the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve for our many sins. But he, he took our place on the cross for us. When we do that, when we trust in Jesus, God cleanses us. That's what it means to wash your robes. It means he cleanses us of our filth, our moral filth, our sins. He cleanses us of our sins and he brings us back to God. We are the bride of Christ. When we do that, God washes us and he says he gives us the right. Remember last week we talked about being blocked from the tree of life. But now the gates are open in the new heavens, the new earth. We get to eat of the tree of life, what they got to eat in the garden. Only those who've been washed, only those who come to Jesus get eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's another way he uses this invitation language, this come language. Look again at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say come. So here we have the church saying come. Look, and let the one who hears say come. What's going on here? What Jesus is showing us is that once we come to Jesus, once we come to Jesus, we are now the bride and we are the ones who hear and now it's our turn to say, come to Jesus. See, once we respond and come to Jesus, now that same message of salvation is our chief message and is on our lips and we say to a watching world and our friends and our loved ones, we say to them, Come to Jesus. That's the abbreviated version of the gospel. That's what we share with those who don't know Christ. Now, I don't think there's anything more exciting in this life than to see someone you love and care about come to Jesus. That's why we live differently as Christians. That's why we live in a missional community. That's why we serve in places in our city. That's why we live op- try to live open and honest and transparent lives. And we, we try to lay our lives down for our neighbors and for our coworkers and for our friends. We want them to see the gospel in us. And we want them to hear the gospel from us. Jesus changes people. Come to Jesus. He can quench your thirst. Jesus can quench what your soul is longing for. Jesus can quench it. He did it for Job. We could pause right there. Job had nearly everything in his life taken from him. Everything that we go to to try to quench our thirst a nice home, our kids, a happy family, good job, our physical health. All of it was taken from Job. Whoa. (laughs) And yet Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Why? Because Job's spiritual quench was 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 quenched, spiritual thirst was quenched in God. 
He, he was no longer tapping his spiritual, his spiritual thirst in earthly things. He tapped in God. So everything could be taken from him and he could still say, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And then we see the apostle, we see the apostle Paul, right? He had the best education, the best religious education, the best upbringing. He was an understudy to the most popular uh, teachers of the day. He was the man on the fast track to success. And God goes, you're mine, actually. Knocks him off his horse, changing the direction of your course, uh, the, the direction of your life. And Paul could say, I count everything else in this life as worthless, as dung compared to knowing Christ. See, Paul knew how to tap his spiritual thirst in God. He did it for Johnny Cash. He did it for me. Has he done it for you? If not, he can. So all of us must come to Jesus. And those who do come to Jesus, we must invite others to come to Jesus as well. It's the purpose of our life. But we are never to lose sight of the fact that we cannot usher in the kingdom of God on our own. We cannot heal all the hurts of this earth on our own. We cannot restore this city on our own. We can't even save anyone on our own. And the more you live on mission and the more you live to tell others, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, the more you realize how broken this world is. That there are many people who reject Jesus' gracious offer. There are many who reject us, who reject the gospel that we share. And when we are frustrated at that and maybe even a little depressed that we aren't having the missional impact that we hoped we would, the person we've prayed for is still hard to the gospel. They're still hard to Christ. They're still resistant. Their heart's not soft. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They want to live their life on their own. What do we do? What do we do? What do we pray? I think verse 20 gives us that answer. We say, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And I, as I'm getting older, this is one of the most, I think, I think this is where I, my heart goes, my head goes, anytime I'm in a situation that feels over my head. I remember years back when a young man who had given his life to Christ and got baptized out of, out of a life of drugs and addiction, and he, wasn't, he didn't show up on a Sunday morning, and I got a phone call during service, and right after the phone call, I had to go to a, a hotel room and find him dead in the hotel room. And you walk into a room like that, a young man taken too soon, the newborn baby, and what do you pray? Nobody swaggers into a room like that. Nobody goes in there with some Dr. Phil lingo. Nobody goes in there with a, with a meme. What do you go in there with? You go in there with this prayer on your lips, this breath prayer, this come Lord Jesus. Fix this. Heal 
this. Make this right. And I think, in one sense, that's, that's the ultimate prayer of the Christian from beginning to end. First, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Heal it. Cleanse it. I'm a thorn tree, right? I'm a thorn bush. I'm broken. I'm wounded and wounding other people. Heal me. I need you, the whirlwind, to come inside of me. So come, Lord Jesus, in me. Make me fit for you. We say, come, Holy Spirit, with me into my workplace. Come with me into my gym. Come with me into my office. Come with me into my home. Come with me into my everyday life to help me be your witness in all the world so I can tell others, if you came in me, he can, you can, he can come in you too. Come to Jesus. We say, when we look at the world and its brokenness is pressing in on us and we're tempted to give up and we're tempted to despair, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Make everything that is broken in this world whole again. We await your return. And when you come back and you return and you set up your eternal kingdom, may you find us faithful. May we be your faithful servants here even now. There's another way that Jesus comes to us. And that's why week in and week out, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. See, Jesus, kind of like, in a sense here, Johnny Cash wanted us to get this picture of the gospel, and so he writes this song. He gives us, I think, a beautiful picture of the whirlwind in the thorn bush. Jesus is also about painting pictures and giving illustrations and making things practical. He wasn't just about spiritual reality and spiritual ideas. So on the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread and he had a cup of wine and he said, this is my body. He's breaking it in front of them. So they have a visual illustration of what's about to happen. And this is my blood that's been spilled for you. So they have a visual. And he says to them, when they eat of it, they're partaking of this kingdom meal when they partake in the future. And when they do, they're also reminding each other of the death of Jesus Christ. That he wanted them to have a tangible thing that they could do every time they met together to remember the gospel. So that's what we do. John 6, Jesus says, some of the stuff that got him killed, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Abides. Abides. Whoever, look at, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What's he saying? The whirlwind comes into the thorn tree. And communion is a picture of that. When we eat it in faith, we're remembering that's the gospel. God in me, not me performing for God, not me getting God's attention, not me being good enough and smart enough and good looking enough that God likes me. No, no, no. It's me being a thorn tree right? 
looks almost dead on the outside and violent on the outside and abrasive on the outside. And yet the whirlwind can come in. And isn't that what happens when we take the food and we take the drink and we bring it in? Isn't that what happens? It comes in us and it becomes a part of us. It energizes us. The reality of the meal, the food, goes to every one of our cells, right? It abides in us and becomes a part of us. This is the gospel. This is the message of Christianity. When you turn from your way and you turn to Jesus, he comes into you like that. So as we come to the table this morning, we're coming to Jesus. We're coming with open, thorny hands. We're coming hungry. And if you've never embraced Jesus Christ, don't take this meal. Take Christ this morning. Embrace him by faith. Trust him by faith. Take him into you by faith. And if you have, if you have believed and you have been baptized, come eat this meal in faith. Father, I thank you for this time in the book of Revelation. I thank you for being a God who comes into us because we are dead, spiritually dead. We are spiritually lifeless. We are spiritually powerless Without you, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot quench our own thirst, no matter how hard we try with the things of this world. And so would you give us the faith to believe this morning, and would you quench our spiritual thirst, even now, once again, through your gospel? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.